I want her to know it was me. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Last week, I went on a rant about how Granny Tyrell should not die, and she promptly died that night. This is going to be a wonderful episode. I cannot wait to discuss it. Mo Walker, welcome. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. And Dan, the person who refuses to watch Game of Thrones, and for which we should always use the shame, shame gif on social media when he admits this, welcome. It's not a refusal. It's a convenience issue. It's on HBO. Hi, how's it going, everybody? I'm Dan. I'm I, I'm not as bad as Luke makes me out. Shame, today. shame, <laughs> shame. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Last week's episode, one of my two all-time favorite characters from Game of Thrones bit it. But even when in her death, Granny Tyrell goes out like a boss and is the only person in Game of Thrones who wins through death. Melody. Mm-hmm. I realize we're jumping to the end of the episode before discussing everything else, but it's mm-hmm. the best part. So <laughs> what did you think of Granny Tyrell's ending? Oh, I mean, she went out like the true G that she is because the way they set it up is that she could see the Lannister army coming from her tower and she knew it. She knew it. She was like, yep, they're coming for us and they're going to take us down. I already know this. I'm just going to wait. So she waits for Jamie to come up. Jamie comes up there and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she already know they lost. So she's like, did we at least put up a good fight? And Jamie, you know, being shady, he was like, mm, for y'all, you did. But, you know, whatever. She was like, mm, fine, whatever. Is it going to hurt? Is this blah, 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 so on and so forth? And he was like, no, it's not. I made sure it wouldn't hurt for you and so on and so forth. And she was he, like, hmm. He convinced Cersei to let her not be painful. Yep. Yep. And then she was like, hmm, I would hate to go out like your son did, choking at his neck, screaming around like that, squirming. That was a shame, huh? Sure was, because I did it. After she drinks the Cersei that I did it. It was so epic. Like she, she, this is after she drank the poison. Yes. She knew she was going to die. She, she's like, yeah, it would be terrible. Is it going to be painful like it was for Joffrey? And he goes, no. He goes, I made sure that it wouldn't be. And she goes, good. She picks up the little uh, glass. She downs the whole thing like she's at a bar taking shots. And then as she's like, as it's taking effect, she tells him that, tells Cersei, it was me. And the look on Jamie's face, I half expected him to pull out his sword and put it straight through her. For what reason? She was already dead. I know, but he's he's the father. I mean, as a father, if you were facing the the person who responsible for the murder of your child, wouldn't you want to have more than just poison? Uh, Mo, what did you think of Granny Tyrell and how she went out? She was pimp. She was just straight up pimp. (laughs) But like like Mel summed it up. But I love the build up how get back early in the episode how she was 
she was just you could just tell something was coming with her and it was it was just great how she just the throwing the shade to the end. She was just throwing the shade about men. She just gives no Fs. I, I just love the character. I'm gonna sorely miss the character. I know she's the type of character that you really like, Luke. I was oh, thinking about you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then it made me feel so much better because I went and someone had a, one of those Facebook, a longtime listener of Daytime Confidential had a Facebook quiz about which um, Game of Thrones house you've been on. And before, when I've taken quizzes about um, which character are you, I've always ended up being Tywin Lannister. And so that hasn't always sat right with me. But when I took the houses quiz, it said I was a Tyrell, which made me very happy. So, yes, uh, she is definitely a type of character that I like. And was it you or Dan who tweeted me the the meme of her in the sunglasses? That was me. Okay. I was like, yep, she is a boss. She is an absolute boss. But before we got to that point where we had this epic final scene, there was a lot else that went on, which included Danny and John facing off. Mel, this is a mm-hmm. moment that you and a lot of fans have been looking forward to. What did you think? Okay, so we knew these are two very strong personalities, and I did not expect either one of them to bend to each other, and that's kind of what happened, because, you know, Danny, who I love dearly, is very, you will bend the knee, you will do it, and John is like, um, that's not really why I came here, uh, let me, (laughs) let me just explain, let me explain why I'm here, so, oh, going back a little bit, so the beginning of the scene where John walks in and um, Danny's girl is saying, you know, mother of dragons and the last of the Targaryens and this and so on and so forth. And she finally finishes and <laughs> Davos goes, um, this is Jon Snow. He's a king in the north. Thanks. <laughs> it was great. But that's not the point. So the two of them, Danny and John, are going back and forth and the things that they want, the things that they need. And they can't quite come to an agreement. So they end up going their separate ways for a little bit. And as the episode progresses, things happen to where Danny is now in need of Jon Snow. So we're going to see how that will turn out. But... John didn't have to bend his knee to Danny, and Danny agreed to let John in the North harvest the Dragonstone. In so part we shall because see where Tyrion is being very diplomatic. For once. Yeah. <laughs> Mo, what did you think of Danny and John finally meeting? It kind of made. It kind of felt like one of those uh, dance dance off movies, like Step Up, because it was like. All right, so Dandy comes on stage. You hear all her accolades, you know, and then it's like John, <laughs> the Onion Knight, kind of like pumps out a little bit, and and but then John just he comes back and and starts talking about all of John's accolades, and then when he gets to you know the the point where he's uh, talking about how John has been um, brought back from the dead, John just cuts it off. It it that's what it kind of reminded me of some weird sort of some sort of weird face-off slash dance-off. But, you know, it more or less went where I expected it to go for this show. I didn't expect them to be a big old kumbaya. And really, I mean, it kind of would have been a punk move on the writer's part had they gone in that direction, especially for this show. Mel alluded it to it earlier. Danny's army didn't do so well in this episode. The Lannisters um, and their allies sort of 
Them damn Lannisters. Cleaned up. Mo. Danny's uh, The Unsullied went to Casterly Rock and didn't expect to find the Lannisters there. They took it. They took the castle. Then their ships were destroyed by Euron, or appeared to be destroyed. They didn't find the Lannister army. Meanwhile, the Lannisters are over at Highgarden taking out old, ba- old Granny Tyrell. And what did you? And then, at the same time, Cersei has the Sand Snake and her mother down in her prison. What did you think? Okay, back getting back to um, uh, to the storming of the the uh, Lannisters, I guess, um, home castle or family uh, seat. Their family seat. Thank you, thank you, Luke. I would say like Cersei was playing chess, while Tyrion was playing checkers. Cause he thought he could just mm. sneak them in to his little man through his man cave, <laughs> and they were just going to win the day. Ch- Cersei was like, "Okay, that's essentially a um, a rook or a pawn. I'll let y'all have that. I got a bigger. I got, I'm looking to take out one of your bishops or one of your knights while you doing that." Ch- Cersei was playing playing chess. That's all I got to say about that. To the other part about your question about the sand snakes. That was cold, and I liked how Cersei did that. You know, I'm going to do you like you did me. You took my daughter, I'm going to take your daughter, and I'm going to make you watch as I take your daughter. And you're going to have to watch her rot. Yes. See, Cersei understands revenge is a dish best served cold. She has figured it out. She knows. She goes and she knows where your, she finds your weak. She always finds your weak points and she exploits your weak points. And she may take a hit or two on the way, but in the end, Cersei knows how to deliver a good revenge. Mel, what did you think? Oh, I think Mo summed it up perfectly. You know, Cersei is pretty much the queen of revenge. And she's not just going to get your regular old, oh, I'm a, like Mo was saying, no, I'm going to do you like you did me. I'm going to do you like you did me, but times 10. I'm going to make you watch this girl rot in front of your eyes and you can't do nothing about it. You can't even touch her because you chained to the wall. Don't F with me, fellas. I mean, that's just Cersei, though. Yeah. Up at Winterfell, we finally get a Stark reunion that isn't Jon and Sansa being reunited. It is Bran and Sansa. We were expecting it, though, to be Arya and Sansa. We got a little bit of a twist there. She hugs him. He sort of seems a little bit robotic. He might be a little bit Spock-ish at the moment, just saying. And then they go out and they have a conversation by the old tree. Mo, that was some of the most uncomfortable thing. One of the most uncomfortable things I've watched on Game of Thrones in a while. And that's saying something, considering Ramsey Bolton and Joffrey, probably since Ramsey Bolton and Joffrey. What did you think of that? It was very, very creepy along the lines of one of those horror movies. When Because if you looked at his facial expressions, he had this kind of like blank kind of facial expression when he was describing the signs of her wedding night. And... And he just had this, like, very blank expression. His eyes were kind of... It, it was like he was possessed. And and that was just very creepy. And, and for her, I would have been shook, too, because it was like, my brother saying all this? What is my brother, Peep and Tom? I mean, like, is he got ravens, like, 
flying around telling him what's going on. It, it, it was very creepy. It was very moving. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that affects their relationship going forward. Um, I'm just glad that, you know, they're all start. The Starks are all starting to finally converge and come together, and maybe we'll get some information, get some tea spilled, in an upcoming episode. Mel, Samwell didn't get a disgusting scene this time for the first time in three episodes, <laughs> but Jorah's healed, and Samwell is now doing more research. How much you want to bet all that research is going to pay off for John in the end? Well, why else would he be doing it? There exactly. has to be a purpose. <laughs> For him to do it. And of course it's connected to John. Because John is really the only one that's like. Sam my dog. Everybody else is like why is he here. So <laughs> there has to be a purpose. For him to you know. Be so good at healing. And medicinal things. So of course it's going to come in handy for John. Uh, before we. Uh, transition. I want to go back to cover one more thing. At King's Landing. When Euron arrived, he had a very awkward conversation with Jamie about fingers and bums. Um, and then Cersei goes and gets her revenge on Alaria and then comes up and says, getting revenge makes me horny and promptly sexes up her brother. Mel, what did mm -hmm. you think of all of those antics? I think I rebuke everything in the name of Jesus. Because I don't play with demons. No. Um, <laughs> I don't. Testify. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I didn't need, I didn't, I could have gone without all of that. In all honesty, I don't want to see Cersei, Sex, and Jamie no more. I don't want to hear Euron talk about Sex and Cersei. I don't, I don't want to see it. I, I just don't. Mo, what are your thoughts? Euron, it, it, he, he is just, but he's slimy, he's a creeper, but he has such panache when he does it. He it, it just, just it was just he was just throwing the shade out there. And what could Jamie do? Jamie I mean if Jamie reacted, you know, then that's telling everybody the whole court and everything, he's still he's still banging his sister, you know, so he's gotta kinda suck it up. But like like Mel said, it is at this point in the show, you know, it, it's kind of, it's a little sick. You know, we've got the point, J.B. and Cersei, you know, have had that little time. They, they, were, that, they were the couple, and, you know, it, it's kind of time to move on from that couple of them. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing more Euron. Um, I am curious to see if something were to progress between him and Cersei. Um, would Jamie do something if it got to the point where it looked like he was going to get with uh, Euron was going to get with Cersei. One of two things is going to happen. Cersei's going to kill Euron or she's going to be killed before they have a chance to get married. One of the two. Uh, I don't see them actually ending up married together because the battles are going to come too quickly, especially when ships apparently can teleport all over the planet <laughs> as of late. Um, before we move on, did either, either of you have any final thoughts on uh, the third episode of Game of Thrones? I'm looking forward to seeing maybe the, the Stark family reunion. Okay. Maybe we'll get a little Christmas special. Mel? Um, definitely thought it was interesting that Bran is back in Winterfell because now isn't he technically supposed to be the king of the north because he's the full-blooded male Stark? 
He's supposed to be, but he did. He said that he it couldn't be him because he was. He's the three-eyed raven yes. and all that. And poor Sansa was in there with that look on her face, like I don't know what you're talking about. I'm confused. I, but, I've um... seen that. I've heard that look on your face at times, Mel, when you and <laughs> yes. I have been on podcasts together. Yes, and that's exactly what it is. But I can't wait for Arya to return too. So there we go. Okay, Dan. Since you refuse to watch Game of Thrones, okay, l- let's talk a little bit about Rick and Morty. It's back. People who love this show are really excited. I've never watched a single episode, but apparently you do. So how are you enjoying it? Uh, well, season three debuted a couple weeks back, and today is the third episode of season three. And it- it's interesting that half of the internet is like, oh my gosh, Game of Thrones is back. And then the other half of the internet is like, oh my gosh, Rick and Morty is back. So this is uh, kind of super interesting. Uh, So what you're telling me, if Granny Tyrell was on Rick and Morty, then it would be the perfect convergence? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Rick and her would probably take over the world. Like, I, I don't know how much you know about the show. Rick is a scientist. He's the grandfather. He lives with his daughter, his son-in-law, his two grandchildren, uh, Morty and Summer. And Morty and Rick go on these wacky adventures. And they're, like, through time, space, alternate realities, you know, utilizing all sorts of different technology. And the show's hilarious because it... It, tr- it goes there, it's deep, it, it's not afraid to be crass or vulgar or funny. Like, it is everything that you could possibly want with that animation. Um, the most recent episode featured an entire Mad Max montage where, like, they went to this one reality and there, Mad Max was occurring to all of the people. And so they had to deal with that while trying to avoid the emotional fallout of Rick's or Morty and Summer's mom and dad are getting a divorce. So they're trying to deal with that mixed with like all sorts of crazy timelines and technology and all, all sorts of stuff. And the, the guest stars that they get for the show are amazing. The most recent episode, they got uh, Tony Hale and Joe McHale, uh, but before that, Nathan Fillion, David Cross, uh, just a ton of bigger names. Um, and it, it's it's been fantastic. It's such a consistently good show. Um, I highly encourage people to check it out. Uh, tonight's episode, according to the promos, in order to get out of family therapy, Rick turns himself into a pickle. Okay. Not sure how that how that's all gonna work, but I'm pretty sure it's gonna be hilarious, and people have been looking forward to pickle Rick for a while. So there's that. <laughs> okay, knowing nothing about it, I'm intrigued. Yes, I, I know that it's a cartoon, and that's about it. Yeah, no, and uh, the first two seasons are available on uh, Hulu. Um, yeah. The first season's 10 episodes, second season's 12 episodes. Episodes are only 20 minutes long, so it's a pretty easy marathon. I'll make you a deal. You watch the first two seasons of Game of Thrones, I'll watch the first two seasons of Rick and Morty. Hey, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 
accessibility is a major factor. In that. I don't not... have Hulu. I would have to get Hulu. I, mm, mm, mm. Just I, throwing it out there. Throw it out. You can give it some thought. You can give it some thought. Let's talk a little bit about Orphan Black. We're closing in on the end of the series season and series. I'm not fully caught up on the episodes myself, but Mo and Mel, I know both of you are. What I've what I've seen so far, I'm really enjoying. What are your guys' thoughts, Mel? Where where does it stand for you? Do you want me to spoil you or of not? Of course. You? I listen. This this podcast is filled with spoilers. It always is. That's how it's all always going to be. All right, here we go. Spoiler alert! If y'all don't want to hear this, you might want to skip ahead two minutes. So, oh my God, Orphan Black. My mind is blown. These people do not care. They are going balls to the walls, okay? So last week's episode, not the episode that came on last night, last week's episode, the final scene has a showdown between Ferdinand and S. And S pretty much knows, like, okay, he's here. He's going to try to take us out, blah, blah, blah. They are monologuing to each other, and boom, Ferdinand shoots S in the heart. So at this point, I am dying, okay? Because everyone else is at this party. They're at Felix's art gallery party. No one knows what's going on. And S, being the G that she is, ends up shooting and killing Ferdinand at the last second. And she dies as well. So she's gone, and I'm devastated. The next episode begins, and we're at her funeral, and Kira is really having a hard time. But we still have you know, this Neolution problem and P.T. Westmoreland, who is slowly dying and needs a cure. And he believes that cure is within Helena and her babies. And they have kidnapped Helena and taken her to the Neolution hideout. And Sarah and Cosima and Fee and all of them know that they have to get to Helena and save her. But they don't exactly have a way to do it, and they're still struggling with, you know, the loss of S. So they all come together. Art comes back into the picture big time. They all come together to try and save Helena. And um, let's see. They're at S's funeral and the after, what, what do they call it, the repast? That's what they call it. At least that's what we call it in the South. They're at the repast, and one of Helena's old nuns from when she grew up comes, and she has Helena's journal. And this episode was really a lot of Helena's backstory. You learn how you know, her hair came to be the way it is and why she looks the way she is and why Helena is such a G and just all of the hard things that she went through to get to where she is. And for me personally, this was Tatiana's Emmy episode. Okay. I It's, it's going to be hard to beat her, like already. Like she's stacking the deck already for that category. And every year that category is the hardest Bar none, it's the hardest. So she's already coming for it. But just to see Helena's story, that was really great. And then towards the end, um, Sarah ends up working with Rachel to get into Neolution, to get um, to get to Helena. And Helena has decided that, you know, she doesn't want to do this to her children. She doesn't want them to grow up the way that she did, blah, blah, blah. So Helena decides she's going to kill herself. WTF. Um, so you think she's dead, but she's not really dead because Sarah went in as Rachel to talk to P.T. Westmoreland. He figured it out. They're arguing that crazy lady, Virginia, whatever her name is, ends up needing Sarah to save Helena because she needs the blood. And basically, 
uh, Virginia Cody ends up dying. P.T. Westmoreland is taken out. And Sarah tries to get Helena out, but Helena water, her, Helena's water breaks. And that's how the episode ends. And it's insane. And I cannot wait for the final episode. This show is fantastic. Mo, where are you at in amongst all of this insanity? I'm I'm with Mel. I mean, first of all, pour one out for S. Because she oh. went out like a gangster. She's a I mean, she, ooh, with, with S... You, I mean, cause the way the scene played, you knew someone was going to die. Yep. And given that we hadn't had any really big deaths this se- up to this point in season five of Orphan Black, you knew the Grim Reaper was coming. But the Grim Reaper struck three times, not twice, but three times, because Mark's little boo, she got she got, got last episode, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and poor Mark. I mean, the last of the male clothes, let's just say... He isn't gonna make it to nope. the end of the end of the <laughs> to the end of the show either. He's with his little boo in heaven, um, as of last night's episode. But I agree totally with Mel about Tatiana and how she's bringing wow. it. Her performance each episode it just keeps ratcheting mm-hmm. up the emotional stakes. How she in they do have enough where they're adding. They, there's still some. Uh, there's some of the stuff with with Donnie and yeah. that whole that whole gang and, and and the little fun little aspects of the show. But we're really at this point are into the heavy emotional stuff, and Tatiana just continuously delivers. I mean, mm-hmm. last week Felix's show, uh, art show, it was really fun. How he had these portraits that were devoted to each one of the Sestras, and that. He would have a different clone come in when he talked about a different portrait. It was a very loving scene, some very loving scenes that would just suppose, you know, S make cutting a deal with Rachel for the Neolution information that was going to just blow them out of the water. You want to talk about fake news? Neolution couldn't put this genie back in a bottle. This was mm. news. Neolution, Neolution went down, and the very it was just funny how the various board members either were killing themselves or got whacked. So going into um, heading into the series finale of Orphan Black, I'm really interested to see how this ties up. I'm, I have a feeling one of the main clones is going to die. I don't think one of them is going to make it. Um, mm. I thought they had been Helena, but I'm not sure. I think Helena's going to make it. I, I'm kind of scared about Sarah. Sarah's the one I'm no. kind of worried about. Sarah going. They Sarah cannot die. do oh, that. Oh, they will like... kill Allison. Allison is going to be the one that ends up dead. I don't know. I kind of feel mm-hmm. like it'll be Kasima. Well, Kasima's too odd. Like I would agree with you, but to me, Kasima seems too obvious. Like mm-hmm. just because she spent all of this time on like various forms of death near death to me her death wouldn't be as impactful from a purely shock standpoint yes there would be a lot of emotion to it but it wouldn't be as shocking whereas rachel who to me even though she's one of my favorites because the stuff with her and donnie and like her accidentally drugging her husband and then him trying to do a dance and a kilt that kind of stuff provides humor i feel like rachel even though her straight lace stuff has played a role, it's never been as important of a role. So if they were going to kill someone off, it would be her who ends up dead. That's my theory. Well, what about Crystal? <laughs> I, I do hope Crystal. One? 
Yeah, I do hope Crystal puts in an appearance, but I don't think that I don't think her death certainly wouldn't mean. She was anything. poisoned by big com- cosmetics. What are you talking? Big cosmetics. Crazy. Well, I, I think if Cosima was about to get got, Delphine would just do a Matrix style dive in front of the bullet and take the bullet. No, I do not trust her. I do not trust Delphine. I I'm She's with you on that. Like, I don't trust her. I feel like the end is going to come and she is going to turn on everybody. I don't trust them. Well, um, last week's episode was filled with a lot of San Diego Comic-Con news. So I wanted to just make sure that we touched on the shows that we were watching. Dan, what else are you watching this summer? Uh, I recently started uh, Comrade Detective uh, this week. It is Channing Tatum's show, um, where it, it's so interesting. So in the 1980s, the the country of Romania was pu- was in production of a television show that was used as propaganda to kind of keep people communist. And the show was absolutely super ridiculous and stuff like that. And like as soon as they were in production, the show started to air. Communism fell in Romania. So the show became kind of like just this thing that was kind of out there. Uh, But Channing Tatum and the production team found the episodes, but Romania won't let them broadcast them. So what they did was they were like, all right, what if we casted Romanian actors, reshot this entire show shot for shot exactly the same as they did. And then we have famous American actors overdubbed the whole thing. And that's what it is. And it is so hilariously fantastic and elaborate and just it's super interesting because these the show tries to portray uh, like Americans and capitalism and all of these things as like bad guys. Like at one point they're in the American embassy and there's just someone sitting there eating a stack of uh, McDonald's cheeseburgers like just because like it it's so hilariously stupid um but Nick Offerman's great in it Joseph Gordon-Levitt's great in it uh Jason Manzukis amazing Jenny Slate awesome uh just all of these great actors coming together for this project and it's it's so funny I highly encourage you to check it out it's on Amazon Prime Okay um there's about 6 episodes up uh each episode's about 45 minutes to an hour. So, yeah. Mo, what are you watching? Well, I'm also watching Midnight Texas, which is on NBC. It's been, there's only been two episodes of that shown so far. Midnight Texas is based on a trilogy written by Charlene Harris, who wrote the Sookie Stackhouse slash True Blood novels and who worked on the True Blood television series essentially there's a town called midnight in texas where it is a the stomping grounds for all kinds of supernatural beings angels uh, vampires shape changers witches Um, there's uh, the main protagonist is a guy who can uh, talk to the dead and communicate with the dead and basically there is a murder mystery going on in the town one of the one of the townsfolk has been killed it leads to um, uh, the individual who can talk to the dead more or less helping the local sheriff and the local townsfolk find out who committed this crime. At the same time, he's falling in love with with a woman who 
lives in town. Her, her, this woman's father's against the relationship. Very typical popcorn fluff. If you watch True Blood, you will come into this thinking it's True Blood light. It very much has a Haven vibe. If anybody's ever watched Haven yes, on sci-fi, it does. this, this to me, it feels like it could easily be on the sci-fi channel. Oh, totally, totally. It, it very much fits that bill. And 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 that's maybe why what I like it so much is because. It's very much a. It feels like a summer show. It feels very light. Feels like a popcorn esque show. There, it, it's clearly low budget because there was one scene in the second episode where it looked like they were driving a car, and then when they shot the, uh, then they switched, and it, it could, you could tell that they were on some sort of green screen with the car. I mean, you'll see some of that shoddy. Uh, film directing stuff. I'm sure if Mel were to watch it, she would certainly... Her eye would be stuff. twitching considerably. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. no. But but it's enjoyable for what it is. It's very... It's enjoyable for what it is. You just have to go in thinking that it's not going to be as tr- the eloquence of True Blood. It's not going to have the uh, production values of an HBO show. It's Obviously, not it have can't that. have the yeah. sex uh, and violence, potentially, that HBO would have. Yes, correct. You won't get the sex and violence, but I think if you're looking for some summer fare, it is very easy going. I I enjoyed it as well. I was discussing it with Jamie, and Jamie was like, "This is just a terrible True Blood knockoff." And I'm like, "I don't know. For me, I'm enjoying it. As you said, they have a very low budget. It reminded me sort of of the '90s syndicated TV series, but maybe with better production values than, say, like a VIP Mutant X that type of thing. <laughs> Granted, it's on network television, so it better have a better budget. But I'm enjoying it. I think that it's fun. I don't know that it's great, but it's a fun light summer fair, like you indicated. And this would totally be something that I could see paired on Sci-Fi with Dark Matter, Winona Earp. This and Winona Earp back-to-back would be really, really good. So that's for me. Mel, did you check it out at all? I have not. It's on my DVR to watch, but I'll give it a go. I can't wait to see your Twitter reaction. Like, I suspect that it might be one of these things where it's like, what is this shit I'm watching? That's Mm -hmm. sort of what I'm expecting from you. In addition to Midnight Texas, I'm also watching Killjoys and Dark Matter. Killjoys is gotten become really interesting this season as they're dealing with the insurgent like they're dealing with inspiring the insurgency slash rebellion and it's playing out pretty well mo what are your thoughts on it well i think my my issue with killjoys this season is that it still feels as if they're not giving us enough information enough exposition sometimes it, it it assumes that we know certain pieces of information that the other cast members do we can't read Dutch's thoughts sometimes they talk really fast so we miss things about the Hullen but I'm still really enjoying the character moments for instance there was an episode uh, a couple weeks ago that focused on uh pre the bartender and it was more or less his backstory and how he was this warlord but it was in his former lover slash boyfriend whatever you want to call it their whole dynamic and that was that was definitely interesting and i like that character moment you're right that was good and i also like the 
how they juxtapose the episodes between Dutch and and her doppelganger uh, Neela. How like there, she just starts like just literally the one episode where she just grabs her lieutenant by the balls and just squeezes his balls so they like exploded. And I mean that was just funny and insane. But at the same time, here's here's Dutch. Dutch is over here. She's in the spa kicking ass and so forth, taking no names. But it's clear that Dutch is she's bringing the Jacoby brothers and her other forces that she's mustering together under this banner of loyalty and friendship and, and devotion to the rack. While Neela is clearly just, you know, she has her, she's like a queen. She is a goddess. She's a small scale Cersei. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to do any comparisons, but it'll be, I really do need those characters to get to uh, be in the same room and go at it head to head. That. And I think it's building to that, but I think that part of what I find interesting about it is Neela is a character that she has her Spock moments, but then she has these really weird comedic moments, and it sort of is unsettling, and I think that's what they're going for, but I watch it and I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to laugh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to cringe, and I'm not supposed to... I don't know if I'm supposed to be cheering her on in her exploits. So I found that a little bit disconcerting. Dark Matter continues to have a stellar season, at least for me. What I find interesting mm. is they recently did an episode, and this is the most recent one I watched because they air episodes on Friday or Saturday, and I we record this on Sunday and my weekends are packed, so I, I'm often a week behind on it. But the most recent episode that I watched was the one where they come back 600 years in the, in the past to our present, and it gave us very much a Stranger Things vibe because it, <laughs> part of the story was told through the neighbor kids who see them moving into the house and they think that these people are like really bad people. And so they start doing their investigation and following them around and they think that they're they end up thinking that they're aliens. That may have been my favorite episode of Dark Matter to date just because of how it played out. What did you think of that, Mo? I thought it was a very hilarious, fun little quirky kind of episode. I, what what struck me about that, first of all, about that episode, first of all, is up until that point, I never really was sure how far into the future that show took place. And then we kind of got an indication that they're basically in the 27th centuries at some some point. So I I enjoyed getting that fact, first off. But yeah, it was very nice taking them out of the normal element of them in spaceships and, and intergalactic battles and so forth. And they're dealing with things like potlucks and um, the sheriff's department, the local sheriff, like, you know, handcuffing. It was it was really funny when um, Six, for instance, he was handcuffed. He was he had been arrested by like the black sheriff or the sheriff's deputy, and it was like that black deputy was like, so brother to brother, like, let me in on what's going on here, you know? And Six is like, kind of had this look like, what are you giving me these weird looks for? But, you know, you can, you can, you can tell that, like, the sheriff was like, you can talk to me because I'm a brother. Um, but I, I thought it was a cute episode. I, like you, Luke, I'm really impressed with this episode of Dark Matter, I mean, the season of Dark Matter, I think that um, 
I'm curious to see because they're kind of like in the last. They're basically essentially in the last uh, third of the season. They only have basically three more episodes. They have so many plots going on. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle their their doppelgangers. And that's for. the part. That's the part yeah. of the season that I have liked the least is the doppelganger mm. aspect. And usually okay. I'm a sucker for doppelgangers, but this that that uh, to, for me is the weak spot of Dark Matter this season. Mm. I mean, I I enjoyed the doppelganger episode. I think it was a nice little twist bringing over that whole team instead of one or two of them. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think they should have tied it off at that that they should have just killed that those those doppelgangers from that alternate dimension in that episode instead of them looking like they're going to be they're clearly going to be coming back soon as a reoccurring threat. Yes. Oh, well, before we move on, I just want to go back to this, uh, the episode where they were, went back in the future, uh, back in time, which was, isn't that a paradox? One of the things that I enjoyed in addition to the kids perspective was the android who is like, I need to be the, like, you need me because I have all the information about this time period. <laughs> but having all of her facts didn't make it so that she actually fit in. Like when she shows up with the cookies, it's like, um, okay, how many people? And then she's like, okay, that means that each person will get 1.3% Per, uh, of a cookie and or whatever the number was and there were various instances like that throughout the episode where even though she knows it she doesn't get it or like the fact that six is supposed to be a norse person <laughs> and he's black not to say that north black people can't have norse blood but that's not necessarily that at least in the context of this episode that was part of her not quite getting context of our society. So it was interesting how they played out. And I'm really enjoying Dark Matter. Like I said, Dark Matter, the last two seasons has been better than Killjoys. Killjoys has rebounded this season, but um, it's still not as good as Dark Matter. If you like the Android in the, that previous episode, wait till you see this uh, the episode that they aired uh, this past Friday. It reveals like the link between two and the Android, and you find out the Android's real name. Oh, cannot wait, Dan. What are you yes. thinking about the Berlanti verse crossover that's coming this fall? I think I cannot wait to watch David Ramsey as John Diggle react to the world of Supergirl even more. As soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, Flash and Legends isn't necessarily the most exciting thing. Like, I'm I'm excited for it, but it's not like it's not like oil and water mixing together, whereas like this is like, okay, there's a little bit of conflict. Oliver has to do a little bit more apologizing because of the way he, I, I know he apologized at the end of that crossover, but I think that he needs to show Kara that he can trust her in the field to that level. So I'm really looking forward to the Supergirl Arrow stuff, and I'm interested to see whether it's on Earth 37 or Earth 1. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, Wynn interact with Felicity. I think that could be cool. Um, you know, Arrow's team is so rooted in like hand-to-hand -hand combat and stuff like that. That when John Jones flies in, I don't like it. Might just blow their mind. You know, I I know Renee got over his whole meta thing, but 
you know, how's he going to react to a Martian? You know, there, there are so many layers to Arrow and Supergirl crossing over that it kind of makes the Flash and Legends crossover look a little like lackluster. Although, I, you know, we'll we'll see. I I don't think that there was enough time passed before Legends began for us to really get invested in uh, Jax and Stein as Firestorm um, interacting on Team Flash. Okay. They like they got Jax to replace Ronnie, and then like a week or two later, Legend starts, and everyone's just off on the ship. So it's not like there's a lot of context from Jax's perspective. And I mean, Barry doesn't necessarily Barry and the team don't necessarily look at Mick Rory as like the hero he actually is. That'll be that'll be an interesting layer to look for. I, I've always really liked uh, Cisco and Ray's dynamic, where like maybe we're gonna get finally get our upgrade on uh, the Atom suit. Um, but okay. aside from that, it, it, everything looks good. It's just a matter of them actually making it happen. Now, you having Hulu? Do you have you watched The Handmaiden's Tale? I have not. I hear good things. I, have heard... I did. It is fabulous. So the TCA's uh, awards happened. This is not televised, but it takes place during the annual TCA conferences. Handmaiden's Tale won Program of the Year. This Is Us took home Best New Show, and Atlanta won uh, Best New or Best Comedy. Mel, what do you think? Uh, like, as someone, I've avoided Handmaiden's Tale. I've thought about getting Hulu again to watch it, but I'm not sure I'm quite ready for it in the in- political environment that we're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand, like from everything I understand, it deserves the kudos it's getting. But is it something that a person can watch without having too much of a like emotional hangover afterwards? Um. Okay. So I'm not gonna lie. It's definitely a heavy show. Um, you know, knowing the premise behind it, basically there is this, uh, group of people and they have overthrown the government and, um, now they're doing everything according to the Bible, but it's this twisted version of the Bible where they have, um, women and in this version of society, uh, women have pretty much become, um, infertile, um, and, and I don't know if it's necessarily all of the women, but it's probably most of them. And the men, too, they're infertile as well. And there's this certain group of women that can still have children. So they've taken all the women that have had children in the last, you know, couple of years or whatever. You, and they're the handmaids. And their only purpose is to have children. That's it. And they live in with the husbands and the wives. And they have – and their names are based off of um, – whoever whoever's house they're in so elizabeth moss she plays the character her real name is june but as one of the handmaids her name is offred and it's literally of fred because fred is the main guy of the house so you know there's a fred and of warren and blah 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 so on and so forth so it's basically about that and this is only in america that this happens because in canada you're free to do as you please so that was kind of the premises um you know, she's trying to figure out how to adjust to her new life because she has a husband and she has a daughter and they were trying to get away and they couldn't get away. They got caught and that's how she became one of the handmaids. So, and she has friends there and everything, but it is definitely a heavy, heavy show. And, but it is fantastic. 
Elizabeth Moss is amazing in it. She's another one that I watched it and I was like, she coming for the Emmy too. See, there's no way. That's what I was wondering is if Tatiana and Moss were going to be the two that are going to be the real battles for right now. Right now, um, yeah, they're the two that I'm looking at. Granted, we have a whole fall season of television to get through, but right True. now, those two are definitely my tops. The show is great. It plays the beats. It sucks you in. My roommate and I watched it in two days. Like, It was so good, but I'm not going to lie. It's a heavy show. Mo, we've had, we had the first photos for Domino in Deadpool 2, and they were pretty awesome. What did you think? Hey, it's Fox Brown. <laughs> <I'm... laughs> <laughs> look, look, look. So I was like, look, you see a whole lot of women too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about um, uh, Deadpool. I'm, I've, I actually have the first appearance of Domino, and I can tell you. My girl's head didn't look like nothing like that in the last 25 years that she's been in comics. I'm glad that they got a sister plan. I think it'll it'll be a fun role. It'll be a fun movie. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to a trailer. I really want to see this character in action, especially when they put her with Cable, Josh Brolin's Cable. Um, I want to see those two mix it up, especially as someone who knows the comic backstory of the, of that character and her history with Cable and Deadpool. Would be interesting to see when they actually tangle mix it up on screen. Dan, when you were a boy, did you ever uh, dream of defending the planet from alien invasion? I mean, I guess. Where's that going? You mean mean with your, like, you didn't have, like, any superhero uh, action figures that you played with defending the planet from all invasion or anything like that? Oh, I totally did. Yeah, without a doubt, one hundred percent. Not okay. even, not even a question. And did that inspiration ever think make you want to like get employed at NASA or anything like that? Um, no. It made me want like when I was in kindergarten, I wrote my first story about a mouse that went to the moon because he heard it was made of cheese, and then he that gets is the up cutest thing i've ever heard it really <laughs> is it really he gets is. there and finds out the moon is in fact not made of cheese uh-oh okay well the reason why i ask is because recently nasa went and posted a job listing for the role of a planetary protection officer to help thwart the spread of extraterrestrial life intentionally or unintentionally on Earth or to the outside of our solar system. It says planetary protection is concerned with the avoidance of organic constituent and biological contamination in human and robotic space exploration, which, according to the Huffington Post, basically means that preventing extraterrestrials, no matter the size, from spreading during space travel. Apparently, if you can get this position with NASA, you'll be paid between 124 and 187000 a year plus benefits. Do any of you guys think you have the qualifications to apply? Well, if if it's based, if my if qualifications depend on watching episodes of Torchwood or the X Files or Doctor Who, then I'm willing to apply for the job. Okay. You know, but I saw Look, this. As long I'm... as we can pick up Captain Kirk, um, and Picard on the way, I say let's go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. Well, as we wrap this up, what are your guys' final thoughts, Dan? 
my final thought is I, I'm still trying to process the fact that NASA is uh, trying to hire galactic defenders. Yeah. Um, oh, NASA knows final... them. We don't know. Yeah, no defenders. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> my final thought is I'm really excited for the defenders later this month. There. Okay. Uh, Mo, yeah. any final thoughts? When you started talking about this galactic job offering, I was thinking of that old cartoon, Defenders of the Earth, from the 80s. Okay. Mo, or Mo. Mel, final <laughs> thoughts? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Well, my final thought was the Divergent movie series, which wasn't that great of a movie series and was based on a book that was even worse but I read because it was coming out in a movie and I sort of was like, what am I reading? Well, not quite as bad as supposedly 50 shades of gray, but I had a hard time reading the divergent series instead of the movie. They're going to be making the the final movie into the series at stars. And it doesn't look like Shailene is going to be a part of it. So she already or, said that. Yeah, well, when I know that. When oh, they ahead. said earlier that they were going to turn the final installment of Divergent into a TV movie or whatever, she was like, not no, but hell no. That is not <laughs> what I signed up for. Y'all said movie and not TV. I got better things to do. I go be on HBO with big little lies with all of these A-plus stars. She said she ain't have time for that, and I am not mad at her. She did say that, but you never know what will happen when... I mean, because if you think about the type of roles that people are taking on premium cable channels now, a lot of times someone who is in film will take up a role or they'll reconsider once it goes to a premium cable. So I thought maybe she might consider it, but so far it looks like not going to happen. So well, you if can there's co- enough zeros in the check, she might think about it, but who knows? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Luke underscore Kerr. Melody is at Melody Akles. Dan is at Real Dan Pierce. And Mo is at Dr. Mo 77. Correct. Woohoo! I got it right. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody.